Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 128. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, friend and co-host Ryan Ray. Ryan, had a great week out in Midland, man. How'd yours go down in Houston? Nate, I got to bring you in here first thing. Yeah. Um, Josh says he has a great week. He used an incorrect form of address, though. <laughs> but yeah, he did use it. We'll get to that in a second. But, you know, we see him on the road for like a day and a half. He looks like he's been serving three tours of Nam when he comes back. Look at the guy. I mean, he comes in he's this beard, morning, a long beard. Scraggly. He's been drinking coffee all day. Yep. He's wearing his jacket with a stain on the elbow. <laughs> Hair's all messed up. <laughs> Like 24 hours. I can look in his eyes too. I, I think we should check him into a psych ward. Oh man, I mean, are you okay over there? I lost track of the hair gel, man. Y'all, y'all leave the hair alone. <laughs> the hair is just fine today. We don't we don't do video anymore. So I was like, screw it. You know, when I, I was mean, on tour in Midland, the- I lost my hair gel. <laughs> Worst memory of my life. He's even got all the green. Flashbacks. The green and the navy. Uh, I mean, the green, the khaki, and the yeah. You, you so you, you you okay over there? Yeah, man. But look, it's step one of Halloween. So today's Halloween. So I'm I'm uh, kind of hanging loose. So he dressed up as a slob. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. Okay, don't take my role from me. Okay. Uh, yeah, it is Thursday, Halloween. Uh, we normally record on Mondays, and we talked about this last week. I'm supposed to be out of the country next week. It's actually in kind of limbo right now, but regardless, we're recording on Thursday, just the uh, the 31st, just to be safe. So if there's any stories that break between now and the show comes out on Tuesday, so uh, we didn't cover that as well. We have a lot to get to. We will talk about um, kind of how my week was in a second, Josh, but I, I want to get to these reviews because they came in last week, if you remember. Um, someone's had a complaint. So this show, my goal is not to complain. That's that's my goal. So let's start off with the reviews. Amazing podcast, five stars. The fourth face, uh, obviously in reference to Mount Rushmore. Ryan mumbles a bit. Josh is a little left of center. Thank God for Nate. Yes. Now, when the listener talks about me not complaining, I want you to know how hard it is at this moment <laughs> not to complain. But I'm not going to complain. Um, Why? Because they gave me kudos? Yeah, I mean, the fact that they called Josh a socialist was much appreciated. I do appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mumble. Okay. God, you got to mumble shame me right here on the podcast. That's tough. That's tough. But we're not going to complain. I am happy. And we'll go on to uh, great news and humor. Five stars. Love this show. Ryan, Josh, and Nate. How's Nate getting involved in all this all of a sudden? People, we want Nate in the lake. We don't necessarily need you to bring it up unless you're appreciating him uh, in air quotes like we heard a few weeks ago um all do a great job talking through the news and the industry and what it might might not mean for everyone and doing so in a fun way that's entertaining to listen to thank you for that and finally now this is a great reference of nate nate in the lake that's the headline there five stars great podcast very informative and fun to listen to so we are creeping towards the magical 200 we have to get them numbers up a few of you have sent in a request for stickers ryan at goar2.com if you take a screenshot of your review email it to me we will get them. We got the stickers in today. They're around here somewhere. They're a little yeah, they're small. Yeah, they're around that desk there. Yeah. They're about the size of a quarter. Yeah, I thought I got a bigger size. So I'm gonna order a bigger size, and then uh, we'll ship those out when they get in. So I, I, I wasn't really reading the um, instruction manual when I ordered those. I suppose. So we'll order a bigger size, and that way you won't have something you will lose, uh, you know, on the first day at least. So, anyways, Josh, back to my week. 
Um, Josh addressed you incorrectly. He did. Thank you, Nate, for bringing that. Comrade. Um, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. So this week, as we had on uh, uh, Robin Goodman on a few weeks ago, the favorite brother of the podcast compared to Reed Goodman, at least for me, um, we had him on a few weeks ago talk about the Bush-China conference. We talked about that. Uh, I was there. Uh, got down. Su- see, this is the difference between me and, me and Josh and Nate. I was there Sunday night, Monday night. Tuesday night, didn't get home till seven o'clock last night. So that's that's just just get on the record. Well, we know already that you're the Cal Ripken. Of I am the Cal Ripken of podcasting, and I had to wear a suit for two days. Do you know what kind of stress that puts on me to have a suit and tie for two days? You look good in a suit. I mean, and tie, I had man. to put a suit and tie on. That was tough. I about strangled myself with the tie. Uh, not not. In, on tension and on a purpose, of course. But anyways, so day one was really good. Um, day two, we had the hackathon, which they asked me to participate in. And um, the Chinese do really good hackathons. Yeah. <laughs> so we participated in a policy hackathon, and it should not be a surprise to our listeners and my loyal fan base that my team presented the greatest policy hack known to mankind. It wouldn't surprise me if the Bushes themselves reached out to me and asked about implementation. We're in negotiations, I'm presuming. I haven't heard from them yet, but I hadn't talked to my lawyer either, so I don't know. But uh, my team did win the hackathon, so that was great. And the conference- What was the reward? Was this a, a golden rice bowl? Did you guys get a piece of paper? Um, well, I mean, I did let Neil Bush take a picture with me. I thought that was nice of me. Right, you know, the big star like me coming big in. Big hearted, yeah. Yeah, it was very nice, very nice, very nice. Um, yeah, we did get a certificate they're going to mail. It just said Team 1, which was a little bit insult- insulting. I told them that we were the A-team. We're not Team 1. We were the A-team. And I made that very, very, very clear to them. They already uh, admitted that you're number one, Ryan. What I, more do you want? Yeah, I know, I know. But anyway, so we we dominated that conference, uh, me and my three compatriots, and um, heard that we had uh, good reviews from both sides of the aisle, which is surprising because I'm usually not trying to appeal to both sides. So it does show that I have a compassionate, diplomatic heart that can solve major international issues. And uh, it doesn't surprise me necessarily, but probably to some of you folks, it might, especially the ones that say I complain and mumble. So anyways, so there's that. Um, And I will be in China here in a few weeks. President Trump, we know you listen. If you want me to go ahead and get this trade war wrapped up, now that I'm a certified foreign policy expert, I will be happy uh, to knock that out for you. The trip's already paid for, so I can kind of just knock that between meetings. And I mean, it took us five hours to solve major international policy. I can get this trade war wrapped up in by a day. I got a Saturday off, I think, so I can go ahead and get that knocked out. Okay. I'm being probably too generous with that. I don't need a full day. We got to probably play golf or shoot skeet or, or something. So. Well, you need to have time for the after party. That's a, exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Do, what do you get when you is that is that the Medal of Freedom? What do we get as civilians? I can't remember. It's not the uh, there's the military one and there's the the civilian one. I'll take the civilian one. I mean, yeah, you've got the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but for solving a foreign policy thing and. Saving our country. Saving our country. That's what I will be doing when I'm in China. And two countries, really. So China should give me an award. They should rename the Great Wall after me. I'll tell you what. No awards. Just rename the Great Wall. The Wall of Ryan. We'll call all things equal. Trump has a wall. He wants. I want a wall named after me. So we'll just leave it at that. Well, you know, Ryan, one of your goals is not to complain. Um, my goal starting of each show is to... Not be a communist to, anymore? Get you to I mean, fail in your goal. <laughs> so... Let's let's see by the end of this podcast. <laughs> I haven't I complained can... yet, right? Uh, not that I've heard. Not now. that I've heard. Okay, so we, the, the the complaint counter is not going off yet. Yeah, yeah. I think, I the think, mumble counter uh, we just that's throw that out the window. I need to get a dinger so I can ding you whenever you complain. 
I do need to give a quick shout out. I did meet with a couple of listeners, so um, to Alex and Mike. Uh, got to spend some time with them because I am a man of the people, Josh, and so I got to hang out with those gentlemen in Houston yesterday. So it was good to meet up with them. I'm sure you didn't see anybody in Midland, but he yeah, still looked ravaged. No, he didn't. That's he nice. just look at him. Look at him. No one would talk to that guy. Look at him. That's hey, the sort of face look. that somebody who's been meeting customers and, and uh, listeners, I mean, has, has been wears, though. Yeah, well, you know, it, yeah. It, it, you know it's, it's strange to go into a place like Midland. Like, you're like a rock star when you have a podcast like this. You got people calling you. You got people asking you questions. Where's Ryan? Where's Ryan? Where's Ryan? I'm sure it gets old for you. Uh, yeah, I told I told him you were uh, you were in. solving the world's problems. No, <laughs> I, I had a different selection of words to be to be precise. <laughs> so I got a question from a friend of mine that I uh, we had lunch about three four months ago. Uh, George, uh, we met in Fort Worth. And he just sent me a question. He has, uh, from the investor side, from the banking side, uh, he mentioned uh, someone we're not going to name, but the, the bank basically said that they're nervous about the outlook of the oil and gas industry. He said that 15% of the bank was laid off in the first couple of weeks that he was there. And he was saying the reason for this was because of the well spacing. He was talking about how a bunch of people levered up a couple of wells on land they purchased with the sole intention of selling those assets to larger companies. Then, after all the companies purchased those new assets, they started to realize that the oil was actually not there, and the large companies had way overpaid for all these assets. I think the issue is the larger companies realize the value is not there in the assets, and that they thought, uh, or, or that it poses a huge problem for everyone in the industry. Um, and and so, one of the things that we've talked about, you got Concho uh, that had their reports that come out where they had spaced their wells too close, and so they had diminishing returns on their on their wells. You also have the issue, um, some of the reports that came out where uh, you got the Deloitte folks that were on where they had used, they had invested. They said, but they said the opposite. They said that they found child spacing to not be a problem sometimes. Yeah, they, they said that. Um, and then they also said some people used too much profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they were mm-hmm. losing money on that where they were, what, mm-hmm. what do they say, over-engineering? Over, over, uh, yeah, over and under-engineering. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there, there was that. I, I think the big issue, though, is the way they were predicting um, return. So they would go in and say, hey, we got a thousand barrels a day that's being produced on this well. We're going to do six more. So we're going to have 7,000 barrels a day. And then they do an evaluation or a valuation mm-hmm. on the land based on mm-hmm. these projected numbers. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being 5,800 instead of 7,000 barrels a day. Mm-hmm. And the valuation was therefore way overestimated. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the companies that, that went in and, and, and did this are necessarily to blame or if this is simply working itself out. Um, there's a possibility there could have been some irresponsibleness to try to, uh, I guess, put a, pull a fast one on some of these investors and banks. But um, as far as I can tell, it was probably an honest mistake where they thought that these projections were accurate and then they turned out not to be. Yeah, I was reading someone the other day talking about um, they were kind of – touting the idea that the projections that they were given at this point in time for some company not to do with this at all you know weren't as great as they were led to believe and they knew it all along and, and this that and the other and this person i don't know if what they did or didn't know um what's what's hard about these cases is if you go back to just a few different things on this show and one of the things we probably try to point out regularly is if you go back to what deloitte said um that the child uh, well uh the, the parent child well spacing isn't always an issue and that the longer lateral sometimes isn't as valuable, and that um, different you know engineering strategies impact it. 
you, you start to hear people say those things. Even David Blackman, um, apart from Deloitte, you know, alluded to that. And so the que- there's a lot of questions here. What was, um, you know, what kind of geology did they have? You know, what kind of reports did these people have? What were they saying? Uh, you know, was it a, a small differential or a large differential? Um, you know, what, what exactly was there? And it's kind of hard to know about this specific case. I, I think the thing that distress to the listeners is, um, and we're all guilty of this on some level, but we, we had to remember is every, every well is not the same. Every engineering company is not the same. Every EMP company is not the same. Every frack company, you know, there are differences. And um, are there people who are bad actors and will lie to investors or mislead investors to get money? Yes, sure. Are there people who genuinely thought that they could do things a certain way and it would work out better uh, than it actually does? Yes. Um, so, for for people in the industry, when you when you hear bad news, it you you can't take that bad news and say, well, this is exactly how everything in the industry now is, and that's our that's our tendency. That's how we that, that makes it easy for us as people to think if that um, either President Trump is great or he's terrible, either the Democrats are great or they're terrible, either oil is good or it's bad, um, and that's just not the way things are. We have a company we work for. We do some things better than others. We do some things not as good as others. We have our strengths. We have our weaknesses. So the news is not reported that way, and that's what makes it so hard um, for us. And I feel like we beat the beat the the horse, if you will, every week because we kind of keep reminding this. But it's a very it's a very important thing in this particular case. Again, we don't know enough facts to kind of speak to what happened here, um, but it could be a, a wide range of things. And so. Um, if you go back again to what Deloitte said, they might point to spots to where the child weld spacing was better or as advertised, right? And so you'd say, well, for these particular bankers, maybe they're overreacting. And I don't blame the bankers. If they lost a bunch of money, they might be going, oh my gracious, they're not in the oil and gas business. Uh, this is what people are doing. Then, you know, hey, we don't want to be involved with that. So I, I can understand the reactions, but as folks in the industry, it's um, it's a little bit harder to decipher what's going on on a case-by-case basis. I think the thing that we, at least I know I like to use as a leading indicator, is where are people putting their money? It doesn't mean that they're right, and it doesn't mean they're necessarily being honest, but at least you know that they're they're going to do it because they're putting their money there. So you look at these large publicly traded companies. If they're putting money into something, at least you know that that is going to be done, and you can't actually measure that result on some level. Um, and then if you come and find out that those people were lying to you and committing fraud, that's a different argument altogether. If you come and figure out that they were just not educated, they're ignorant in the true sense of the f- uh, form, uh, word, um, then that's different. So I think that there's a spectrum for these things. And the media, um, and me and you, we're guilty of this as well. We like to kind of lump everything in and make everything a nice, tight bow, and this is what works. Remember, Josh, this let's go back to maybe a, a year or two ago. There were articles talking about why everyone should go to the Permian. And what did we say at that time? We said that the Permian is not for everyone. There's different competitive advantages in the Permian than there are in the Eagleford, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so your company might thrive in the permit you might make a billion dollars in the permit or you might go out there and just get waxed because it's a very competitive market the eagleford the margin is a little tighter the competitive nature is a little bit different but you might thrive there because it it, it suits your company's um your 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 company's skill set so same thing here it's um that's that's a play-to-play type comparison but a company-to-company type comparison um following what's going on i think is what gets lost in these discussions and obviously this gentleman isn't isn't saying that he's asking about a specific example but that's how i like to try to think of these things is okay what are the possible things that could have happened if someone was asking me i would try to outlay what are the possible solutions or possible problems what possibly could have happened could they have been committing fraud yes could they have just had bad 
bad calculations, yes. The result is still a loss of money, right? It doesn't change anything. But if it's a fundamentally different thing. If the result is a loss of money on one side, then you can go and say, okay, well, we know that in this case that, that this type of drilling program will not work. Therefore, we're not going to drill, we're not going to value, uh, we're not going to give the valuation the same moving forward, right? So we're going to lower our, lessen our exposure. Mm. So a new company comes in and says, we have a similar to my asset. We go, you know what? We got burned on that deal before. Last time we valued it at $100 million. This time we're going to value it at $75 because that's where the actual number was. Well, now you actually have a good valuation that you'd be happy with. Yep. So you don't know. But now if it was a fraudulent deal and the oil wasn't there at all, then that's – so there, there's there's degrees, and that's where I think we have to um, – if we're trying to think through these things, how we have to look at it. Yeah, it makes me wonder with, uh, with the way – what parts of the industry were hit the hardest with these companies? And we know we talked about some that were overpaying for acreage and you know getting off on the wrong foot early on in their uh, in their projects, and, and also the question of you know private equity backed and how a lot of these companies were coming in to flip and sell. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know the, the Permian provided an opportunity for that, but at the same time, it, it also um, it brought in that competition, like you mentioned, and so these private equity companies went in to have a quick flip, and it's just changed the dynamic of what people are looking to do with uh, with these startups now. They're they're if they can't live within cash flow, then the the banks are probably not going to give them investments, and you know it, it's hard to it's hard to really pinpoint what part of the industry was hit the hardest. If it was going to be the private equity backed smaller companies, or if it was the the bigger ones that saw hits in some of their stocks, um, you know, the the majors seem to be doing just fine. I, I don't see any any issue with them so far. Well, but they have a more diversified ability to make money, mm-hmm. and so they can make money a lot of different ways. Whereas a traditional EMP company has primarily one um, avenue of making money. Um, you know, just kind of flatten it out a little bit. But one thing that you mentioned there, you talk about the, the, the you know they get into expensive. Um, and I would love to go back and kind of read when oil was, you know, at $100 a barrel or natural gas was really high, how those conference calls went with Wall Street investors because those are the times when they're paying a substantial amount for this acreage. And I would be curious to see what Wall Street was saying, what the headlines were reading at those times because if memory serves me right, Wall Street was encouraging them to expand their drilling program, expand your drilling program. We're not worried about returns necessarily right now. Um, and so a lot of – now – I'm not going to get all the way into this discussion because we have time and move on. But Wall Street, it's funny because they don't like to take any, you know, any blame for them incentivizing the oil and gas industry to to potentially overpay for acreage or to, you know, not be as efficient as possible. Some companies were a lot more strategic. They're a lot slower. They they they, they saw potentially what other companies didn't see. Um, so and, and the final thing I say is this is one way the market works itself out, right? Some companies are very good. There, Some companies are very aggressive. And you could sit back and say in different industries, well, some company, you know, they didn't make a lot of money and they took all the risk and now they're the number one company in the industry and look at them, they persevered. Plenty of companies take that model and fail. And um, so in our industry, you're going to see the same thing. Companies take risk, some of them will succeed, some of them will persevere, some of them won't. And so it's just the same thing. It's, it's Sometimes it feels like we don't take normal principles and apply them to our industry when we try to um, review how companies are doing or how the industry is doing as a whole. Well, we have an article we're going to jump into about the biggest oil and gas discoveries of 2019. Uh, so the first one, number one, was uh, in Russia. 1.5 billion barrels of oil equivalent was found in the Arctic waters, Russian Arctic waters. So huge find. Um, they're going to be 
developing that for for quite some time. Uh, it, it pretty exciting uh, for the for the Russian um, companies. Number two uh, was I hope I don't pronounce this Guyana. More than six billion barrels in climbing. ExxonMobil just put Guyana on the oil and gas map for the first time. And uh, the last one, but not least, Cyprus, up to 8 trillion cubic feet of dis disputed gas. So huge discoveries here, um, and, and they're going to they're gonna drive, uh, I think, a lot of the international oil markets with some of this offshore discoveries. And I just, I'm curious about that because we haven't heard much about offshore stuff. I mean, we've seen some. I mean, we haven't mentioned it some, yeah. but it hasn't been nearly what it was, say, four years ago. Um, or even even sooner than that. Yeah, the, the Cypress is interesting to be see, to, to see who actually gets the claim on that. But one of the things the article does point out, and we heard a lot of talk about this uh, maybe last year, two years ago, I can't remember now. Time begins to run together. But uh, a quote: This is uh, from the piece talking about what Rystead said. It says, according to Rystead, the current resource replacement ratio for conventional resources is only sixteen percent. In other words, only one barrel out of every six consumed is being replaced with new resources so once you consume a barrel uh i'm sorry yeah yeah one barrel every once you consume um six barrels only one is being used to replace it and so that was a fear that some folks were afraid of a few years ago when you saw the large super majors who have the ability to go and put money into um, discovering new oil fields they were concerned that you might see a um a potential massive oil shortage in the future because they didn't invest the the time and the energy and the resources to go find these new place. My theory has been and still will be is that the longer this becomes an issue, eventually the market will correct and they will go and um, and uh, and begin to deploy those resources. And here's here's kind of why I think that. So if you're let's just say ExxonMobil, if you're ExxonMobil right now, I think it's safe to say that ExxonMobil has some body or a team of some bodies in their office that goes as of today there is this many barrels of oil that could be drilled and at the current projection plus or minus 10 percent this oil can be drilled for however many years okay so 10 years 20 years 30 years 40 years 50 years 60 years whatever it is right um based upon that they understand that when the crunch time, how long it takes to develop these resources, how long it takes to find them, historically speaking. So as we get closer to that that threshold of when Exxon feels the pressure or Shell feels the pressure or whomever feels the pressure, that they feel like, okay, you know what, we're getting too close to this threshold here. The prices could get out of whack. I think you will see more resources deployed, um, and then you will begin to see more more um more barrels come on the market or uh, available to come on the market, if you will. So I don't necessarily worry about it like some people do. It is something to follow. Um, but it, it, this is more spawned from the downturn and companies pulled out the money to go do this research. Uh, and I think now as prices have kind of leveled off and they, they should continue to be pretty decent for a while, it seems, um, I think you'll see that these stories will kind of start trickling back in. And then here you go, three years, five years from now, this will be a non-issue. Because again, I don't think Exxon is sitting around going, oh my gosh, we're going to run out of oil in five years and they're not pouring in massive amounts of money without an acceptable alternative. The reason I say that is primarily this. I use this tool, Josh. Just imagine for a second, if you are the head of Exxon or the head of uh, or Saudi, uh, Saudi Ramco or, or one of these big companies, your way of life is dependent on the, oil, on the earth having energy, right? So if the earth runs out of energy, your way of life 
basically ceases to exist. Now, you would have a better post-energy life than everyone else because you have more money, but at some point that goes away because if we actually run out of the ability, ability to produce energy, people will riot and revolt, and you'll see the you know, all kinds of madness and chaos. If anyone understands that, those people understand it better than we do. And they make money by making sure that doesn't happen. So to me, it seems like it's more of a market calculation where we're at right now. The industry was down. They pulled the resources out of it. It's not a profitable, profitable venture today. They also understood that um, that they could come back and you know, pick up these barrels through discovery in the next you know, three, five, or ten years. And so I don't think it's a big story. It is something to follow, though. It was surprising that it's only one out of our six are, are, are being replaced. Yeah, that is. I didn't see that. There's another uh, oil price accounts piece to the question we um, we just answered from George, and uh, just wanted to read this little little quote here. True as this may be, there is no guarantee things will plateau at this level of problems and not deteriorate further. Reuters reports that banks have marked down the perceived value of U.S. oil and gas not just for the next year but for the next five years. This value makes the foundation of reserve-based loans. So the lower it is, the less money the banks will be willing to give businesses. This is just what I was talking about with, um, you know, you got to live within cash flow. So however much money you're bringing in, that's what's going to be determined, determined, the determining factor for how much money the bank's going to loan you. It's based on how much money you're producing on a monthly or quarterly basis, not how much oil is there. And so that is keeping these, uh, these producers on their toes, and, and it's also forcing them to live with much more modest budgets. Uh, which, you know, it, it makes things more difficult um, for, for these producers and for the service providers and vendors that are uh, assisting them and working with them. But it also, I think, will uh, bring some efficiencies. Things will stop being so sloppy. Waste will be cut down. And so, um, you know, I, I think in, in the long run, it could it could end up bringing a little bit more efficiency to the industry. Well, yeah, it's going to bring you more efficiency. The other question is, if oil does go to $100 a barrel next year, what are the headlines? Are the headlines, yeah. you know, are these the still are these still the same headlines, or um, or the headlines change? Now, I'm not saying the oil's going to a hundred dollars barrel, but I, I view these headlines as, um, you know, they are a reality, but they're also a marketing ploy. You got to think like this: if you're a bank and you want to send a firm message to EMP companies, what do you do? You say this is what we're doing moving forward. Yeah. The EMP companies read that and go, "Okay, you know, we got to make sure we're we're capitulating, we're falling in line. If we're going to start a new EMP company, we're going to meet a tighter threshold, so we're not coming in just willy nilly spending a bunch of money." So, you know, again they can change their opinion. So it's not like it's a you know a government law that's locked in for ten years. It's just. Uh, it's just something that um, that is the, as, as the current state of things go. So we had a story that came out. This was uh, kind of a tragic story. There was a West Texas man uh, killed by poisonous gas. So this was H2S. That's a 44-year-old out of Odessa. He's working for an oil company, and he went into a pump house, and H2S gas was there, so he died. And his wife was trying to get in touch with him along with some other folks. And so she got worried, drove out there with her two kids in the car, goes into this pump house, and then she actually dies as well. So this was a sad story. You know, I'm, I'm, I put a post of it on LinkedIn. Hopefully uh, hopefully the kids are all right. You know, you hate to see stories like this, but uh, unfortunately this is some yeah. of the some of the natural dangers that are just in the world. I mean, um, so. Yeah, it's children six and nine. If there are anyone who knows about this and we can share a uh, – was it GoFundMe or something like that link? Um, 
you know, um, please send it in to Nate. You got Nate's or my email, and we'll be happy to to share that around. That stuff is, you know, I was telling you, Josh, offline that, um, you know, there's people who do it, the H2S stuff a lot more than I have, but the one time I went out to get certified or trained for it or whatever, you know, one thing told me was is that the H2S alarm goes off and your buddy falls down to leave him. And uh, and so, you know, that's what our safety guy told us. I don't know if it, what every safety guy says or not, but that's what we were told. It is um, a very dangerous and deadly killer and uh, so tragic that the kids were six and nine. So, yeah, if you can pass on any information, we'll be um, happy to pass it along and uh, hope, you know, help raise some awareness or whatever. So, Nate, how was it? in the show notes. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, good friend Sergio, he, uh, he, he has a Drilling Down article. Uh, Callan Carrizo drill up to last minute of merger vote. Uh, so he has some good information here in this drilling down report. Um, we need to get Sergio back on. It's been a little while since we had him on the show. He's probably depressed right now because his Astros lost the World Series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this probably... be the perfect time to get him on. Man. <laughs> Just wail on him for a little while. His spirits are down. He won't be. He'll be defenseless. <laughs> That's monstrous, Josh. Yeah, Should well, be nice to Sergio. Look at Josh. He's, he is a monster this week. I do. You know, I, I found something interesting from the drill down report. Uh, first off. Pioneer was number one, EOG two, Marathon three, Carrizo, uh, and Exxon tied for the four spot. But he brings up the Barnett shell again. And I can't tell if he's piling on at this point or is he giving us a shout out. And here's what I mean. No drilling permits were filed for horizontal wells in North Texas this past week. Okay, so thanks again, Sergio, for telling us what you've told us over and over and over and over again. However, but Granberry Oil Company, Caribou Operating, is drilling a vertical well. Now, the, the the thing here is, is Josh, we're based out of where? Granberry. Right, Granberry. We've got so, an operating company. In yeah. Our so I don't know. I don't know if this is Sergio giving us a shout out or if Sergio is trying to tell Caribou they can thank us for their success. I'm not sure what the hidden message is here, but uh, Sergio, if you want to call into the show, we'd be happy to take that. But yeah, we we did have one finally drilled. Um, and uh, you know it's good to see that Sergio does. Get, it feels like that should be the top line. That the Barnett should be the top of the line, not not the bottom at this point. If we get one, like that's a huge increase from where we've been at. Yeah, it is. It's a one hundred percent increase. Yeah, for yeah, if now you've one hundred percent for this week and like the past four months, it feels like. Yeah. So what one uh, one thing to note here in the article is that Marathon is gearing to drill fifteen horizontal wells in the Eagleford. Uh, so fifteen horizontal and one vertical. So that's uh. That's new information. You know, we, you know, a lot of their stuff has been going on in Midland and uh, New Mexico. So interesting to see them moving out into the Eagleford. And then uh, we got also an article came out about energy. So while I was in Midland, um, we were talking with some folks about some of the energy issues that they're facing out there. And they, they mentioned that uh, there's a couple times this year where uh, they, um, the, the city had these what they call brownouts, and uh, so I, I had never heard of these until being there and hearing hearing some of the the locals actually talk about uh, a lot of the en- energy was being used out in the you know by these production companies, EMP companies, and the energy shortage that that hits certain times of the year is only going to get worse over the the next year or two. So um, it's interesting to see you know the the power grid out there and how the energy is going to respond to this because it, it is going to put, I think, a certain amount of impetus for these companies to find different forms of uh, electrical power so that they can 
not put the squeeze on on the city itself in Midland. So when you mentioned that, that was the for, I mean, I guess I'd missed the news about the brownouts out there. I hadn't just for whatever reason I had missed it. So I wasn't aware of that. It, there is it's interesting because over the past couple months, I've had a couple of offline conversations where um, they there have been new solutions to help improve the grid. One is a um, it's like micro-modular, I think is the term, nuclear solution. And the other one has to deal with using, um, um, basically using products on the um, that, are, that come from the well itself to power uh, the rig. And so I'm curious, Josh, if we'll see um, maybe some kind of micro-modular nuclear technology that will come out there because they are pulling such a strain on the grid, be deployed in the city, you know, and maybe the oil and gas companies could help finance that. I don't know how expensive it is compared to traditional power, but it's a long, it's like a 20-year guarantee type power deal, and I don't know if it just takes one or two or whatever, but I wonder if you see solutions like that. So the, the oil and gas companies come in and go, you know what, we are sucking a lot of power, we're putting this around the people, here's a solution that you guys can run off that would be completely dependent of what we're doing. Um, and then also some of these other solutions where, the, uh, the the EMPs can actually um, self-power themselves, especially when they're outside of the distribution network. So I wasn't aware of the brownouts. I did not know. I'd love for the listeners to uh, email in and give us some insights on that. I don't know how I missed that story, but uh, I guess I did. Let's see. We got uh, – we have another article. Uh, Democrats just accidentally sparked a federal fracking boom. So this article came out, and I had some uh, some questions and, and I was interested in it. You know, everybody's aware of what Warren tweeted out that she was going to ban fracking if she wins presidency. So basically, assuming she won 2020, beginning of 2021, she's going to ban fracking. And so this article goes in and says that she is accidentally sparking a federal fracking boom. Now, from my perspective, the question was the opposite seems to have been happening. You know, not, not a fracking boom, but actually uh, a lot of companies are scaling back. Uh, some of these companies are filing bankruptcy, so it doesn't seem like a boom is coming out of the tweet. So I just kind of was curious about what his perspective was. So he mentions Concho and how they're increasing their drilling on federal land specifically and um, sort of weaves that in with this tweet. Ryan, what did you think about the article? You said you didn't want me to complain, right? That was that's the the complaint counter has not started yet, correct? It has not started yet. Okay, um, hang on, I, no, I, no, no, I no. failed to, to pull up my dinger. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, we're gonna work through this nice and slow. Um, so yeah, so I was just pulling up the Baker Hughes rig count, and so you can go to Drilling Info or you can go to Baker Hughes or, or whomever, and they're gonna have slightly different numbers. But according to Baker Hughes. The rig count this time, uh, October 25th, um, is when it's last updated on here, was 1,068. That was last year. This year it's at 830. I don't know what the definition of boom is. I, I'm not a wordsmith, as you know, if you listen to the show, but it doesn't seem to be that that would be a boom. Now, you might think, well, you know what, Ryan? 830 is up for the previous week. Well, you'd be wrong because the previous week it said 851. The week before that was 856. Now, we did have, oh, here it is, Josh. I'm sorry. You know what? I stand corrected. On 10-4, we had 855 rigs, and then in 10-11, we had 856. I'm sorry. I missed the boom. I did. I missed that one rig improvement that week, 
I did miss the boom. Um, it ended dra- dramatically in terrible fashion when it went down uh, four we- four rigs the next week or five rigs the next week. But you know what? We did. We missed it. I guess we just missed it in the headlines that um, the one rig boom that uh, occurred in October. Let's <laughs> call it the one rig boom of October 2020, uh, 2019. And so um, I just missed that completely off my radar. And then you know we're down twenty one rigs this week. So. Um, the one rig boom has actually cost us like 30 rigs. So thanks, one rig boom. You have ruined it for the rest of us. Yeah, you know, my thoughts about this, Ryan, was if the statement comes out. You, wow. Hold on. Because you left the center, you agree with Warren, just to be clear, right? I mean, just, I'm just making sure. Okay, so you, as someone who supports Warren, go ahead. Someone. <laughs> So this whole deal with this, with, with yeah, with the with the socialists calling me a socialist, it's uh, that's not a very appreciated. Uh, it's close. It's close. So um, you know, I, I'm 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 of the mindset where uh, I think it would be an interesting experiment to see what it would be like if someone did ban fracking and then oil prices went up and then maybe it would completely silence the lunacy for at least ten years. <laughs> um, so I'm. I'm I'm one of those who would like to see uh, more appreciation for the oil and gas industry and instead of such uh, such nonsense like, like that. But looking at uh, the article, one of the things I was concerned with, or at least the first thought I had was, why in the world would we want to respond to a tweet if the oil prices are down? Wouldn't that just further exacerbate the problem mm-hmm. if we just kept drilling instead of responding uh, with, a, you know, with a brain and, mm-hmm. and trying to... Um, have sense and strategy that would be that would be the worst thing for some of these companies to do if you actually read the quote <laughs> they are responding with strategy that's the irony is Concho is essentially saying that you know we have 20 percent think it is of our land is federally held so we might just go ahead and drill that earlier than we anticipated yeah, yeah which makes a lot of sense it's not that they're i mean despite the one rig boom we talked about <laughs> despite that they're not going to be adding you know 40 rigs in prevention here so um now, now listen. If forty rigs come on a week from now, we'll come on and be like, "Well, I'll be in two weeks. I'll be in China, so you have to eat the crow." Josh will come on and eat the crow, but um, but it, it felt like this was a little bit of a premature headline. So, what do you think? Uh, and this was the first time that I had thought about the fracking boom. I mean, not the fracking. The one rig boom. The one rig boom. Yeah, the one rig no, boom. The the ban on fracking that Warren mentioned is that only with regards to federal land? Well, that's kind of the the, the question was what presidential authority could she actually have now? They kind of get into some of this here, and I'm not. Uh, maybe you have a you have some lawyers that want to weigh in on this. I'd love to hear it. But it seems to me that the the powers of the presidency aren't exactly as clear as they were in maybe 1776. And so, what Warren could do, what she can do, what she can't do, um, you know, the question. Some of the questions that come to mind is, you know, if she were to write an executive order, how long would it take for that to play out? Even if it was one that she didn't have the authority to issue. Nate, you might know, you know this stuff a little better than we do, but if she were to, you know, make up some kind of crazy executive order that she actually constitutionally doesn't have the power over, uh, you're talking a long time. You, the best case would be for the oil and gas companies to get someone to stay um, so they can keep working, but it'd still take a while to resolve that. It's not like you can't look at the executive order and go, oh, no, because she could deploy actually other assets. So you had to go to the courts to work it out, correct? Um Educate me on a, on a point that I'm not entirely sure of. The Bureau of Land Management is in charge of uh, fracking permits, correct? Mm. Okay. The Bureau of Land Management, if I recall correctly, is also a, uh, an agency of the, the executive branch. 
And if Senator Warren were to be elected president, she would be the head of the executive branch, as our constitutional friends know. Um, so it, it seems to me that an executive order of that nature would pretty much cut off um, the the issuing of fracking permits. Right. However, um, I'm not sure how long that would take to propagate into the field onto federal lands where people are actually drilling stuff because, well, we're dealing with the U.S. government here and mm -hmm. it's Byzantine in its ability to enact change. Um, so, yes, it would have immediate effects. Somebody would probably challenge it in the courts. Um, but the, the, the thing would be to get a stay first uh, or, a, or a postponement or whatever. That's what they, that would be the first challenge, just to say, hey, judge, we actually got a rig on the federal land right now. She signed this thing. We've got to finish this rig. We can't actually get off today. That's, yeah. that's, they would contest that first. Say, hey, you can't actually – we can't leave. Like, we theoretically we we're, we're drilling. So they would ask for some kind of um, stay of the order for a while. So that would be the first step. And yeah. then beyond that, it would be uh, – Unless our dear president decided to exercise his or her – power as the commander-in-chief and send in the military to stop them. Right. That, that's what I said a minute ago. So the, no no government official is going to do that, but that would actually yeah. be the thing is that so they, so you couldn't just, so even if you ultimately the presidential um, even if the executive order was unconstitutional because the president has other authorities that it can use at its disposal mm -hmm. um, you have to follow it, but you have to challenge it to the courts. So you challenge it with some kind of stay, oh, yeah. postponement, whatever. Absolutely. If you got that, depending on how the ruling was written, it could be a permanent stay where you can continue to operate until it's resolved, or it could be a 30-day get-your-stuff-out-there type deal. There's a lot of ways that could check out. Yeah. Um, the reality is is that it, it would it would end her presidency quite quickly. Um, and I'm thankful for that. So I'm not mad at all. That's not complaining. I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful for the one rig boom I did not know about. So... That was that was impressive, guys. Keep that up. One rig boom. See, you know, if the banks knew about the one rig boom, they'd be lending money left and right. Well, keep in mind, Ryan, that uh, if if that ended her presidency, it would probably, well, let's say that that ends in impeachment, and uh, you get somebody else in, say that she selects Julian Castro as her vice president. Um, he at least gets that, it to twenty thirty, right? He's twenty thirty guy. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> I believe you've called Castro a moron repeatedly on this show, Ryan. See, now, see, y'all are provoking me at this point. <laughs> y'all are just provoking me. I am trying to be upbeat. I am positive that she will not do this. Well, she might revoke the federal lands. Um, but, you know, God, that, even that, it would seem to be, um, I don't want to say a stretch, but it would be, and it'd be interesting because you'd have governors like the governor of New Mexico who seemingly kind of shifted her tone on... Uh, policy there saying, you know, um, hey, uh, you know, we like oil and gas now, and oil and gas is our friend, and all this stuff. So New Mexico would take a huge hit because I don't know, if, I don't know what percentage of the drilling in New Mexico is BLM land. It's substantial, maybe all. It's, it's a substantial huge. portion, huge. Um, and so you, you, you know, that would go away. So all those tax dollars would begin to go away. Um, then you have other questions about. You know, what does it actually mean for the wells that are drilled? Or if you, you, know, you have a duck, it's there, but it's not finished. So there's a lot of litigation that would that would happen. If we have a lawyer that wants to come on uh, one episode and just kind of walk us through that, we'd you know, reach out to Nate and uh, we'd love to hear some insight because it's a it's a interesting discussion on 
um, because the non-federal lands is really really get sticky, right? That's where it would really get un- that's unconstitutional. So it almost be two separate executive orders. She'd have to write if she was smart, one for federal lands and then one for private citizens, and then you get into all kinds of stuff. So uh, don't think don't think it is going to happen. But anyways, we have a lawyer reach out to textonguestpodcast.com to Nate, myself, whomever get you on break down for us how it could happen, what the states could respond. It'd be a great episode just to talk about um, because it is. It is a good thought exercise because they haven't always been as open as they are now. So, well, a couple of things. Uh, first, I'm going to be in back in Midland for a conference. You're gonna uh, you're gonna clean up before you go. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about there's no shave November, so we just we just need to start it off. It's 31st. This well, today. there's no okay. shave November, not Yeti November. <laughs> Hold on, bro. If your truck breaks down the side of the road and someone sees you. They're gonna think like you've been walking like Forrest Gump walking across. Right, I can't wait for you to be going to China. I can't wait for you to be going to China. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. You can't get it, bro. I'm telling you. you keep on. Get it in right now while you can because it's coming. I'm just saying. I trim it up a little bit. Your truck breaks down. You gotta walk with gas or something. Ain't no one picking you up like you look. Right, but you also just called him Forrest Gump. You Forrest Gump, yeah. yeah. Well, at least well. they won't mistake me for a woman. So. Uh, <laughs> Whoa, whoa, what's that supposed to mean? Whoa, 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 what's that supposed to mean? This might be the last episode. This might be it. Nate won't have to go to the lake because the show will be canceled. So, um, so I'll, I'll be in Midland the week of the 13th. Uh, there's going to be a Pipeliner Association uh, luncheon that day as well. And so if, if, if anybody wants to meet up, uh, let me know. You can get a coffee. I'll get you a lunch. Um, I'll be there pretty much the whole week. So... Let me know if you got any uh, any openings, and uh, we can meet up. Yep, and I'm supposed to be, as I mentioned, out of the country next week. But if not, I will be around, might be in Houston, so you can follow on LinkedIn for that. Be sure to rate and review the show. We're not to 200 yet. We're getting there, so we need your help to get Nate in the lake. Not to we will, 225 yet. Yeah, I mean. we, we got to get to 200 for get 225. It's kind of like that one-rig boom, you know. It's got to have some more substantial numbers here. We are trotting that way but as the year winds down you're going to have thanksgiving you're going to have christmas and you're going to be full of turkey and eggnog and all that stuff and you're not going to want to take the three seconds it does to rate and review the show so go ahead and do it now uh we got to go ahead and order nate a speedo and so we want to get him sized up again i don't know know where this speedo angle is coming from ryan i never agreed to that <laughs> they may mistake him for a woman <laughs> <laughs> Walking out that speed up. Give a little speed up. Middle of January. <laughs> middle of January. Um, so, you know, we got, terrible one. we got to do that. Uh, <laughs> right and review the Choose show. Choose your pronouns, mate. Choose your pronouns. Five stars. And until next time, keep loving.